Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less in similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, and thank you for joining me on the Mummy Movie Podcast. In this episode, we shall be looking at part two of The Curse of King Tut's Tomb from 2006. And as this is the second part, it is probably best to listen to the first part first if you have not already done so. In terms of the format of the episode, we shall start with a little background information, then a section on the historical accuracy, and finally, I shall review part two and rate it out of ten. Right. You are an Egyptologist who, after much hard work, has discovered one of the greatest finds the world has ever known. The intact tomb of the boy king. However, little do you know that a villain is about to steal something very valuable and powerful from the tomb. And with it, they shall awaken the curse of King Tut's tomb. Although this film is very much set in Egypt, it was actually filmed in both Jaipur and Mumbai in India. I'm not sure why these locations were chosen, but I guess it is better than a green screen background. As for myself at least, nine times out of ten a green screen sucks all of the charm out of a film. Also, originally this film was over four hours long, however by the time the film was sent to critics, about 1 hour and 45 minutes had been cut from the film. Part of me is admittedly thankful for this, but I will admit, maybe that added time could have helped with some of the more rushed elements. In terms of the cast, Stephen Waddington plays Jason McGreevy, Nico Nicotera plays Andrew Walker, and Simon Callow plays George Russell, one of the members of the villainous Hellfire Club. 
Now it is time for the historical accuracy section. In this part, I shall just talk about what the film does well and what it does poorly. To begin with, at the beginning of the film, we see black and white footage of the finding of the tomb. In this clip, there is a part where the characters are walking like an Egyptian, much like in the song by the Bangles from 1986. There is absolutely no depiction of any Egyptian walking like this. And in fact, I do not believe the dance came around until that very Bangles song, and it most certainly was not around in 1922 when this film is set. This may seem like a bit of a picky point, but it is nonetheless true. After this, we see the items being removed from the tomb of Tutankhamun. During the scene, several of the characters talk about how rich they are going to be. Dr. Azelia then claims that they cannot sell the items as they do not belong to them. Although today it is completely illegal to excavate and sell the finds due to the UNESCO conference of 1970, for 1922, this is very much an argument between what is legal and what is moral. For more on the UNESCO conference and the ethics of archaeology, please listen to my episode on The Mummy 1959 Part 2. However, essentially, Zelia's ideas here are more on the modern side of thinking, as she does not believe that people should profit off of these items, and also believes that they should remain in Egypt. The other members of the excavation have a more 1920s-esque fortune and glory way of thinking. Although this is present in other films, I quite like these kind of scenes, as the disparity between the old and the new is always interesting, and I feel as though it is a good way of adding colour to the characters in the film. Later in the film, Azelia and Fremont start to decipher the magical tablet found in the tomb. Azelia says that the symbols on the tablet predate any known hieroglyphs. The hieroglyphs on the tablet are, first of all, absolutely not older than other hieroglyphs. Further, cartouches are present throughout the tablet. The first known cartouches do not come around until the end of the Third Dynasty, by which point hieroglyphs have been around for hundreds of years. At one point in the film, Fremont is attacked outside of a bar and kidnapped by the evil Dr. Sinclair. Sinclair then tries to mummify Fremont. This scene is correct in basically no way. The first thing that Sinclair does is to start to wrap Fremont in bandages. He then talks about how he needs to remove his internal organs, but first he must remove the brain. You kind of have to ask yourself, if he needs to remove the internal organs and brain, then why is he wrapping him in bandages first? Further, whilst wrapping him, Sinclair then sprinkles salt on Fremont and tells him that it will dry him out to help to remove his organs. Okay, let's go over this scene a little. To begin with, Sinclair says that mummification typically takes 70 days in total. This is correct. As for the rest of it, all of the elements of mummification are kind of there, but in completely the wrong order. In real mummifications, first the bone is broken in the nose, and then the brain is removed. To do this, it is likely that the brain was stirred in order to liquefy it, so that it could be more or less poured out. Then the internal organs are removed. As for the salt, 
Typically, the body was submerged in natron, which is salt found on the bank of the Nile for 40 days to dry it out. Unsurprisingly, simply sprinkling salt over a living person's chest is not going to do much outside of making them a bit itchy. Basically put, it felt as if about two seconds of thought went into this scene, and you don't have to know anything about Egyptology to see why his plan will clearly not work. Although, I will admit, I found Sinclair saying that he prides himself on accuracy whilst performing a mummification completely incorrectly pretty funny. Later in the film, after the character named Rembrandt uses dynamite in the tomb, they find a secret passage. I have already spoken about my feelings on dynamite in the last episode, so I shall not go over it here. But as soon as Fremont climbs into the passage, he claims that it comes from long before the pyramids. The first tomb in the Valley of the Kings, where Tutankhamun's tomb is located, dates to the 18th dynasty. Further, tombs pre-pyramid tend to be much smaller Mastaba-style tombs. Therefore, there is absolutely no evidence whatsoever that the tomb predates the pyramids. Shortly after this, they see a depiction of a creature which Azelia says is Set. She then claims that she always thought that Set was just a legend. First things first, the depiction of Set in the film looks absolutely nothing like him. I spoke about this a little in the last episode, so I shall not talk about it more here. However, Azelia thinking that Set was just a legend is a bit odd. Even in the 1920s, the ancient Egyptian god Set was well known about. Later still, Sinclair claims that Set was the father of evil. This is sort of a common misconception about Set. It is fair to say that he was the antagonist in two very famous Egyptian myths, the Osiris myth and the contendings of Set and Horus, but he also was one of the gods who protected Ra during his journey through the underworld. Although Set is occasionally the villain, this was not always the case. It is more complicated than that, and indeed this viewpoint did not come around until the Roman era, some 1,300 or so years after the death of Tutankhamun. Basically put, this film is very inaccurate. It shows the most bizarre interpretation of mummification, constantly makes things out to be older than they are, and claims that Set was both simply a legend and was pure evil. However, on the upside, it does at least have an argument about the morals of profiting off of excavations. Okay, in this final section, I'm just going to review the film and then rate it out of 10. I shall start with the parts that I quite liked, in many cases with this film, the parts that were so bad that they were ironically quite funny. To begin with, the acting and script were, for the most part, pretty terrible, but often in a funny way. That being said, despite Jonathan Hyde's apparent disdain for this film, I felt that he actually played the part of Sinclair very well. The character becomes appropriately more evil as the film goes along, after all, he tries to mummify someone alive after torturing them, and he kills multiple people. There's also a whole section where he is actively hunting down one of the characters, 
Andrew Walker, and I did genuinely find this scene quite intense as I wanted Andrew to survive. This all meant that when Sinclair did get hold of the magical tablet, there is no doubt in the viewer's mind that he is the worst person to be holding it. In my opinion, this may be the best executed part of the film. Now unfortunately, we must go over the bad parts. Although the script is often so bad that it's good, it also has many parts where it is just plain bad. For instance, after being saved from mummification, Fremont says to Lines, Thanks to all of you, I still have my brain. That's a good thing. I like having a brain. I mean, this line very much feels like it's supposed to be the beginning of a joke, and then he could just not come up with a punchline. Much like saying, Why did the chicken cross the road? Because, um, he wanted to. Anyway, moving on. The film felt like it had far more ambition than it did budget. And for this reason, the CGI throughout is pretty damn awful. Further, it may be because a lot of the film was cut, but there are quite a few scenes that do not make sense. For instance, in one scene, we see Sinclair surrounded by the forces of darkness that are hovering above the streets. Then in the next scene, no one below is aware of them at all. Additionally, they never really fully explain the powers of the tablet, and it just seems as if Sinclair can do everything until he can't. I feel that some more clearly defined rules could have been useful here, and it would have given the film a lot more direction as well. Much like with the first part, this second part of the film feels like it rushes along at about a hundred miles an hour, and it really does not give the viewer time to breathe. However, at least in the first part, I was able to follow what was going on. This second part was a mess, and as such, not only did the film feel like it was moving way too fast, it also made me quite bored. It feels as if the film loves killing off characters without introducing any drama or emotion whatsoever, and this is partly because the film is rushing along so quickly. In fact, in total, only one of the deaths in the film made me feel anything at all. On a point that may be so bad that it's good in some people's books, but for me just falls into the area of ridiculous, for some reason Tutankhamun has metal wings and can fly in this film. Further, by the end, all of the interesting villains have gone and been replaced by terribly CGI'd demons that look far too ridiculous to be taken seriously. In terms of the reviews for this film, they were pretty bad. Although there is no critical consensus on Rotten Tomatoes, it has an audience score of 29%, and on IMDb, it has a score of 4.3 out of 10. In general, I agree with this. Although I felt that the first part was passable, this second part was a complete mess. As always, I understand that people have different likes and dislikes, and I feel that for many, this film may fall into the category of so bad that it's good. However, for me, that is not the case, and I shall be giving the second part a 3 out of 10. In terms of combining both part 1 and part 2 together, I would say the whole thing altogether would get a 4 out of 10.
Thank you very much for listening. If you are enjoying this podcast, why not consider subscribing, liking, leaving a comment, and join me on Thursday, where I shall have two guests on to discuss The Scorpion King from 2002. And then join me again on Monday, where I shall be going over The Scorpion King 2, Rise of a Warrior from 2008. I hope you all have a fantastic week, and see you then. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.